We're only here for one reason. This is the Rich Eisen Show. The only thing that matters is the Larry O.P. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. Touchdown, Titans! Julio Jones is going to get traded. I do believe he will get traded. Touchdown, Titans! (laughs) The Rich Eisen Show. Today's guests. ESPN baseball reporter Buster Olney. Host of Peacock's Pro Football Talk. Mike Florio, plus two-time NBA All-Star Baron Davis. And now, it's Rich Eisen. All right, everybody. Welcome to hour number two of the Rich Eisen Show on the air. Buster Olney of ESPN is going to join us this hour to talk about how, um, you know, when the NFL makes a rule change and they they always talk about, it's not a rule change. We're just emphasizing the rule. We have a new rule emphasis. We're telling the officials to emphasize calling something that's already on the books. Apparently, um, whenever if that's ever done in the middle of a season, uh, teams go nuts. Remember that Chris a couple of years ago, um, there were there were three awful hits on a weekend, um, and um, uh, the kid from Rutgers, whose name escapes me right now, he got paralyzed. He got carted off a field. Yeah, Eric Legrand. Right, look, right. He got he got carted off, and then there were three awful hits in the NFL uh, on the same Sunday, and then all of a sudden they changed the rule emphasis about they're going to call helmet to helmet a lot more, and teams went crazy. Baseball, apparently, is going to start checking pitchers multiple times a game for substances on the baseball. Good. And I don't know how the hell that's going to work, so we're going to get Buster Olney on this program. But now we, we turn to a man who knows all about the NFL because he, he well, I mean, he runs a site called Pro Football Talk. He created it. He runs it. He does uh, uh, not one but two shows for NBC Sports on Peacock. He starts the day with PFT Live and ends it with PFT PM when that show is in season. His name is Mike Florio, and he's back here on the Rich Eisen Show. How are you, Mike? Rich, I'm doing great. You were speaking of October 17, 2010. Three bang-bang hits in about five minutes of real time. Dante Robinson hit Deshaun Jackson. Brandon Merriweather hit Todd Heap. And James Harrison hit Muhammad Massaquah. Right. And that changed everything when it comes to the league's enforcement of hits to the helmet and neck area of defenseless receivers. And hello, how are you? Yes, exactly. Well, they, <laughs> see, I knew you know you would know that. And and the only thing I would take issue with is Brandon Merriweather went top rope on Todd Heap. That was insane. Out of all, of, I remember Marshall Falk went on game day morning the week after those hits took place and saying that Deshaun Jackson should have known to sit down in the coverage. If he would knew what the coverage was, if he actually studied to know what coverages look like, he would have sat down and Dante Robinson wouldn't have blown him up. That He he pinned that one on Deshaun Jackson, which made us all look at Marshall and go, what are you talking about? But um, the league just, you know, obviously was just going to stop all of that in its tracks. Yeah, that's that all spot. changed now. And it's on the defensive back to play with the right technique. And right. If- if you hit that helmet and neck area with your helmet or any other part of your body, a forcible blow to the head or neck area of a defenseless player, it's an automatic 15 yards and involuntary contribution to the human fund and potential <laughs> suspensions over time. Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk, always great for Seinfeld reference right here on the Rich Eisen Show. Uh, Julio Jones trade, what's, what's the headline to come out of it? Do you well, think? Arthur Blank blanked. Try saying that ten times fast. But right. That's what it came down to. Arthur Blank wanted a first-round pick for Julio Jones for two reasons. One, they got a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu during the 2019 season, and then they gave up a second-round pick to get Hayden Hurst from the Ravens. Now, it was a two-plus 
uh, what was it, two plus, they got a two plus a five for Hayden Hurst plus a four. So the, 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 the fingerprints were there for what ultimately happened with the two and a four from the Titans for Julio Jones and a six. It had to be more than a two. Blank wanted a one. Blank had held out for a one. And I think when Arthur Blank realized where this is going from here, training camp looming, mandatory minicamp in theory, Julio could have shown up. What do you do with Julio Jones where he's got a $15.3 million injury guarantee and otherwise full guarantee on his salary if he shows up for mandatory minicamp? What do you do with him? I think that Blank just decided now was the time to, to get what I can and move on. Even though if they had come up with a way to hold on to Julio Jones, maybe they would have gotten lucky and gotten that first rounder later in the year. I just think that that they were ready to move on. And, you know, there's a chance the Titans are going to move on. If the Titans move on, what do you have? So it was time, it was smart, and they got the best deal they could under a bad set of circumstances where it was well-known within the organization the player wanted out. And so what comes with Julio is the contract, right? And and what, what are those numbers, and how do you see Julio handling his new digs in Tennessee on that front alone, X's full, and O's aside? Yeah, Rich, full contract with none of it paid – by the Falcons. When the Titans traded for Ryan Tannehill a couple of years ago, the Dolphins paid $5 million of Tannehill's compensation. Very different circumstance at, the, at that time and at this time, but the, the Titans are going to pay the full $15.3 million guaranteed for skill injury and cap. There's a $2 million guarantee next year. They pick up the whole contract, but here's the thing. Even though the Jones contract, which was renegotiated three years ago, had a new money average of $22 million plus per year, right now it's three years Thirty-eight million in change works out to about twelve point seven million per year. Watch for Julio Jones to either want a new deal on the way in the door, or go out this year, have a great season, and then turn around after twenty twenty-one and say, "All right, it, it's time to take care of me financially." But that—that's what whoever was trading for Julio Jones was going to end up buying, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Falcons couldn't get that. That first-round pick, you're taking on $15.3 million in salary obligation in a year when the cap is down, a net of $25 million. And you have a guy who's going to want another major contract as soon as now and at the latest after this season. Well, and then putting it all together, though, Mike, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk here on the Rich Eisen Show. Um, put it all together, though, I- I'm saying that no matter how upset a Falcon fan might be that, that Julio is gone – um, what, what about the fan bases of teams that could have gotten Julio and didn't cough up the two and the four or try and beat it with a two and a three, and it's not even in the same draft? It's two yeah, years well, apart. I, I think like, that it's incumbent on those teams to get word to the media that covers those teams yeah. to explain that it was more than just giving up those draft picks. It was the salary obligation, the expectation that he's going to want a new contract. And then the nagging question about his health. Last year he missed nine games with a hamstring injury. The Titans are comfortable that he's fine. And look, Rich, one of the realities of life in the NFL, and Julio Jones isn't the first, he's not the last, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way at all, but there will be occasions when a guy who otherwise could play doesn't play because of an injury that if he was motivated, if he was happy, if the team was a contender, he'd find a way to play through. And I think when the Titans did their due diligence, they came to the conclusion that the relationship was fractured, the team wasn't good, and Julio Jones was erring on the side of protecting his hamstring and protecting his future 
because the alternative is go out there and and risk further injury for a team that's going nowhere. And uh, and and uh, but but still, that's part of the risk you take on if you're the Rams or one of these other teams. Jalen Ramsey was confused why the Rams didn't go all in to get Julio Jones, and I'm sure plenty of other fan bases have players on the team, fans, others who are like, what's going on? What's going on is it's so much more than just those draft picks and those other dynamics are things you have to feel comfortable with or you're not going to make that trade. Well, I mean, in, and in terms of the dynamics for any uh, any team in the NFC, any fan of a team in the NFC, you could just forget it. I mean, like the Falcons, unless you were going to cough up the one, now we're having a different conversation. But, um, you know, the Falcons were not trading him in conference. And so what about teams outside of this conference? I mean, what about a team, you know, um, like the Colts? who have the cap space, and now he's in this division. I mean, this is a hell of a downhill physical troika that's at the disposal of Ryan Tannehill, who is also one of the best run throw threats in the NFL from that position, too. Not a lot of people put Tannehill in the same category as Kyler Murray or uh, Lamar Jackson, but you really can when you look at the statistics about how much of an issue – he was in the red zone personally, himself, not just throwing it. Now you've got these three guys too. It's it's kind of crazy. Like maybe you make that trade just to prevent it from happening. Well, you and know? when you think about it, there haven't been many of these quartets where you have the quarterback, the running back, and two great receivers. The Colts in the days of Peyton and mm-hmm. Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Edger and James, yeah. and, and, and you know, even though James was gone by the time they finally won a Super Bowl. The, the Rams with Marshall and Kurt and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. You, you know, it's one thing yep. to have three. When you have that second receiver whose skill set is virtually identical to the other receiver, that, that's trouble. And you make a great point. If I'm the Falcons, I'm doing everything I can to get the Colts to come to the table. And one of the best arguments is Titans are going to get him if you don't. Yeah, right. Now, Chris Ballard, the GM of the Colts, isn't going to fall for that kind of stuff, and I think he keeps a very steady hand, yeah. and he's not going to get caught up in something that he knows doesn't fit with what he's trying to do. And, and I really do think, I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Ballard was leery of where this goes. If Julio Jones comes in this year, has a big season, then what do you do? And, and don't they, I think they're, what they've got a second that can become a one that's been committed yep. to the Eagles. So Correct. they didn't even really have a second round pick in play for next year because that two can become a one. And until we know what the condition is, both picks are tied up. So that, that may have been an impediment as well. But, you know, the Colts at one point were fairly high up on the betting odds, and then they just plummeted. So somebody somewhere caught wind of the idea that the Colts weren't going to get in on it, and the Titans. Hey, to the people in the league, the Titans were always the favorite. And as of a week, week and a half ago, the prevailing thought was Titans for a two, and that's what it was, plus a little bit extra to to get the Falcons to feel better about the trade. Mike Florio here on the Rich Eisen Show from Pro Football Talk, at Pro Football Talk, a must-follow on Twitter and so much more. What's the scoop on Rodgers? We're uh, eight days away from the mandatory minicamp and all eyes peeled there. What do you think we're eyes peeled for? How about the the Mark Murphy column from Saturday? <laughs> and, and it really is stunning. He wasn't even asked a question about Aaron Rodgers. 
And he answers a question that isn't even about Aaron Rodgers by saying the Aaron Rodgers situation has divided our fan base. And, oh, by the way, we have chosen to not address the situation publicly, yeah, except coming out and saying that the situation is divided the fan base. I, I think that the Packers realize that Rodgers' biggest fear is having the fans turn on him. And, I, look, that, that, those things weren't written accidentally or extemporaneously. This was planned. This was read. This was revised. This is a deliberate message from the Packers to Rodgers and everyone else. And I think what they're trying to do is get Rodgers to realize the fans are already turning. And they're daring him to not show up. Because I think what the fans have done, Rich, ever since the stuff that bubbled up around the draft, and it lasted for a few days, the fans had some consternation, at least those who like to yell at me via email and Twitter. (laughs) But then they kind of settled down. And I think their attitude is, we won't believe it till we see it. So the moment he doesn't show up, whether it's for the mandatory minicamp or training camp, the moment he doesn't show up, that's when it goes to DEFCON 1 for Packers fans. And, and I think that Mark Murphy's trying to make sure Rodgers realizes that. And I think deep down, frankly, if I'm Mark Murphy, too, and I don't know that I disagree with this mindset, I think deep down he wants him to not show up. We'll get wow. $30 million plus. We'll trade him next March anyway, and we get a year to figure out what we have in Jordan Love. I don't know. I mean, well... I find that interesting that you say, again, you're referring to uh, a monthly column that Murphy writes for Packers.com. The situation we face with Aaron Rodgers has divided our fan base, he wrote. The emails and letters that I've received reflect this fact. And he said, as I wrote here last month, we remain committed to resolving things with Aaron and want him to be our quarterback in 2021 and beyond. That's an interesting addendum. We are working to resolve the situation and realize that the less both sides say publicly, the better. But except that the fan base has decided it's divided. Uh, I mean, it's just uh-huh. beautiful about it. I mean, they they are they are twisting the knife in Aaron Rodgers with this. They really are. Well, and, I mean, it's because he's gonna twist it back. Well, I mean, his 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 whole conversation. I don't know if you were on after it or we haven't talked about it. His whole conversation with Kenny Mayne was essentially to just turn the the heat up on Gutekunst to kick the can down the road, not be committal, not say, not give anything that makes it seem like he's not coming back, not make anything seem like he is. Um, talking about the people and the organization not not uh, putting stock in the people. And now here's Mark Murphy talking about the people who email. Who are the Packer fans who email him saying, stick to your guns <laughs> with Brian like Gutekunst? email address. You know and, what I mean? And, like, who's, who's and, that person? And again, I, my own experience is it's not the case. They're not red state, blue state yet. They could be. <sighs> they could be if he doesn't show up. But I, I think that they decided collectively, at least based upon the things I've noticed, and I – I get interactions in many different formats. I've just noticed a sense that it's wait and see, because why get Ben out of shape when he has yet to fail to show up for anything mandatory? And, Rich, what we haven't talked since Aaron was on with Kenny Mayne. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that, that really resonated with me when Aaron said that, that uh, he threw a wrench in their, their plan, yes. and I'm paraphrasing, yep. when he won the MVP last year, he believes, he believes right or wrong, that they were going to flip from him to Jordan Love after the 2020 season, and that but for him winning the MVP, that's what the plan was they were going to implement. That's what he believed. I, I, I would agree with him if he believes that. Because, you know, and that's the one thing that I, we've been talking about on this show as well, and I do believe with you before as well, is that, you know, in the same way that Terry Bradshaw said that, uh, you know, that Rodgers shouldn't pay attention to somebody drafted in the first round, similar to the fact he didn't, 
get phased by Mark Malone being drafted in the 1980 first round draft. It's totally apples and oranges because there was no physical, I mean, there was no uh, monetary construct attached to Mark Malone's first contract in the NFL, like the one that is with Jordan Love, that that requires getting the player on the field to see if a second contract is worth it. And certainly if a fifth year option is worth it, you need to see time. And we're seeing Daniel Jones year three for him. They still don't have an answer. We saw Sam Donald shipped off to Carolina. You still don't have an answer. Now it's Carolina to trying to find an answer on, on Sam Donald. One year went by with Jordan Love, not even dressing. So damn straight Rogers threw a wrench in it with an MVP campaign. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Now I don't know that they would have had the nerve to just go ahead and pull to go the ahead and do it. But yeah, I, I know Sim, Sims is, I, I think, the the president of the Aaron Rodgers fan club. <laughs> and I know last year, based on 2019, yeah, he, he was he was pointing out that that Rodgers seemed to be slipping a little bit, but was still great. And, you know, they're trying to do the Bill Belichick thing. They're trying to get ahead of the curve, make a decision a year early instead of a year late. I just think they outsmarted themselves with this one. Totally. And they've really painted themselves into a corner, and I don't know how they get out of it. And I I really do think that deep down, if Mark Murphy were attached to a lie detector, I think his preference would be Rodgers doesn't show up, the fan base turns on him, we get $35 back that we can reinvest, we find out what Jordan Love has, we don't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers going somewhere else this year and winning the Super Bowl. And we trade him in March. I really do believe, Rich, wow. if they trade him now, they're getting less than what they would get if they trade him in March because you're going to have 10 teams at the table in March. Now you've got the Broncos and maybe the Raiders. And you're getting 2022 draft picks anyway, whether it's now or March. I would just wait till then and try to make it like Peyton Manning 2.0 where they're lining up out the door for a crack at Aaron Rodgers. So uh, let's just game this out before I let you go, Mike. You know Rodgers is smart enough to know when he's being managed or gamed or outfoxed. What would his move with David Dunn be if that's what the move that the Packers are planning to say? What would his move be if he, if he, if he moves his Queen's Gambit piece to this part of the chessboard and the Packers respond as you just did? What's, what's Rodgers' response? Just to sit at home? And, and and hope that Jeopardy calls him in the meantime? I mean, like, seriously, I, I, what would be his maneuver to, to get out of that and get to a spot and win this year for another team? I'm envisioning Rodgers in Hawaii after consuming okay. one or more legal substances or otherwise and looking up and seeing the chess pieces upside down moving around <laughs> in front of him. But correct. I, I, uh, I think that at the end of the day, he's showing up. And I think it's going to be one of the most awkward, compelling storylines we've ever witnessed. Because it's going to be every week, every press conference, every practice. We've said on PFT Live that if Brian Gutekunst is going to go in the vicinity of the practice field, wear two cups and a helmet, <laughs> maybe two. And uh, because he, he, he betrayed his feelings two weeks ago with Kenny Maine on this. I love my teammates, I love my coaches, I love the fans. Okay, fine, then you're going to be there. Then you're going to be there. you got a problem with the boss. Who doesn't have a problem with the boss at some level? We all got a problem with the boss at some level. Not us, though, Rich. That's right. But, but, <laughs> but, but so what? So what? You, 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 you deal with it and you move forward, just like Russell Wilson is in Seattle. Mike, appreciate the call. Let's, let's chat again next week. Let's keep, right. let's keep our eyes peeled on this. Thanks again for the, Thanks, for the time. Always. That's uh, Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. 
I'll just say this again. It does go back to, and that's why I don't, I'd love to know, who are the Packer fans? And call us, 844-204-RICH. Are you the one who's emailing Mark Murphy saying, you stand your ground against Aaron Rodgers? You stand your ground against the three-time MVP that you decided to start the clock on and close his window of opportunity and start kicking him out the door and not call and let him know about that and let everybody find out at the same time on the draft. You keep you you stick with that guy, who, by the way, uh, Gutekunst well, got a huge bouquet of flowers verbally in that same column as well. So if you're sitting here thinking Mark Murphy's sitting around and is thinking, boy, did Gutekunst screw this one up, you know, and he's in hot water, and Rogers is going to get his head on a pike like you know Ned Stark. Spoiler alert! Um, you know you're you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. But uh, who's that? E- who who's the one emailing the Packers saying yeah? They might you you might be upset like you know that he's complaining with all these millions of dollars, and then he flies off to Hawaii and he's hanging out with you know celebrities and things like that. So what? You wouldn't seriously like who's the one that's upset? that Rodgers is flying off and having a good time with celebrities and making a ton of money when what you 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 wouldn't when your your livelihood and your time at a spot is now completely at uh, odds and your way of com- commandeering your end game for your career is in trouble really if you didn't have the leverage you wouldn't be doing that i'm serious because let's not forget, even with, you know, as Florio said, Chris Sims, the, the lead member of the Rogers fan club, was saying that he was suddenly a little less than going into that draft where Jordan Love was available. Really? He went 13-3. and three, And he was the guy who was supposed to be the leopard with unchangeable spots that was now hooked up to a young coach damn near his very age, who's never done it before, and he was supposed to be the disgruntled employee who wanted all the control offensively and wouldn't learn a new offense. And he won 13 games and took the team to an NFC Championship game nobody saw coming. We all forget that that was the circumstance that led up to Jordan Love being drafted. Yeah, by the way, less than was still 4,000 yards, 62% completion percentage, 26 touchdowns. Four interceptions. So with the echoes of the goalposts still clanging because Raheem Mostert kept hitting his head on it against them in the NFC Championship game in Santa Clara, let's go into the draft and use the first-round pick to trade up to get Rodgers' replacement. Come on. You're sending an email to Mark Murphy saying, you stand your ground. I'm sure there are some out there. 844-204-RICH, number to dial. When we come back, Buster Olney on what baseball's doing about the baseballs being done dirty, literally. That's next on The Rich Eisen Show here on Peacock and this Rich Eisen Show radio station. Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs and the same thing for your partner. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side, helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature, quiets your snores or your partner's. Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is 
unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. What do you think of Aaron Judge, Reggie? What do you think of him? I think the same thing everybody else thinks. I certainly did not expect this kind of year out of him, but I did expect the success at the big league level Mm. and you know, the ability to hit 25 to 30 home runs because, you know, we're, we're, we, we have a small ballpark now and he hits a fly ball, a routine fly ball. And there are a few guys I played with that were like that. Uh, Strawberry did it. Luzinski did it. McCovey did it. Stargell did it. Dick Allen did it. Harper does it. Trout does it. They hit fly balls for them that come down on the other side of the fence. Balls that aren't hit good, it, according to them. Mm-hmm. Um, ballparks are too small for some of those guys. They hit a fly ball that it's, when it settles and it's missed, it comes down on the other side of the fence. And those guys hit 15 of those. And then if they hit 15 balls good, they hit 30. It's unbelievable, Reggie. And in, in this day and age, though, uh, I've had a conversation with fellow Hall of Famer John Smoltz a couple of weeks ago, Reggie, that... Uh, that, that that kids don't mind striking out as much these days. Did you have well, a, did you have an all or nothing mentality? Obviously, you're. We all know how many strikeouts you had in your career, but um, did that matter at all to you? Because there's a lot of hand wringing over it today these days. Well, I, I think I struck out too much, and I averaged somewhere twenty five hundred in twenty one years is a hundred and twenty five a year. Um, so, but that's too many. Uh, and I think for 162 games, if I would have played them, I'd have averaged 140. So mm-hmm. that's too many strikeouts. You can get by with it. Uh, this is, wow. Hold on. Let me take this call from Hal Steinbrenner. I'll call him right back. Okay. You go. Hey, Hal, I'll call you right back. It's ready. Okay. Thank you. Um, Reg, I mean, seriously, you could take that. I mean, you could put me on hold for the boss. That's okay. <laughs> I got, I wouldn't want, I can't have you hear what I'm saying. Now, hold on a second, uh, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, hold on real quick though. I'm not, I, I would not be doing my job if I didn't ask this question. 
If that was George back in the day, would you have been able to tell him? No, no. What you just told his son? No, no, I'd have hung up on you. I might not even have told you. <laughs> <laughs> I might not even. I just acted like I was. I just acted like I wasn't on the phone. <laughs> no, I'd have hung up. <laughs> oh man! Now, if that, if, if that was Hank, uh, oh. I'd have probably got off the phone because because he'd have had some choice words for me too. I love Reggie Jackson. He's one of my favorites of all time. He helped get me into baseball and love baseball as much as I do. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, 844-204-RICH, number to dial. Um, let's get into it. We we talked about it, Jim. We talked about it with John Boy last week off of the athletic story, talking about how there was a team in baseball who had a rookie on the team who got his first career hit, ball removed from the game, and they're passing the ball around. Uh, on the bus after the game. And as they're passing the ball around, they're picking the glue off the ball and some of them on their fingers because of it was still being tacky on the ball. And I said, cut the crap. Can we just start cutting the crap? Certainly if it's what's causing all these spikes and no hitters and averages to plummet. So there's now movement on the front right now. Baseball's apparently about to attack this problem. Is our next guest on the phone line right now, Chris? Yes, he is. He's a senior writer for baseball, spent many, many years with the New York Times before joining the worldwide leader in sports. I saw him last night. We all did on the uh, Red Sox sweep of the Yankees on Sunday night baseball. He is Buster Olney of the worldwide leader in sports. How are you, Buster? I'm doing great, Rich. Good to talk with you. Good to chat with you. Um, Before we get to, I guess, the main course, which is what baseball is doing about uh, all the gunk that appears to be being placed on baseballs. We talked about it on this show with John Boy last week. And before we get to that, I, I want to talk about what we saw last night on uh, on Sunday Night Baseball with the Red Sox sweeping the Yankees. What What is going on with the New York Yankees right now, Buster? The worst offense that the Yankees have put out there in our lifetime, which is saying something because, of course, this is a franchise which typically has had great offenses. But when you think about the numbers – you know, they start today 25th out of 30 teams in runs scored. Uh, they have the lowest runs per game since 1972, the lowest team batting average since 1968. They lead the majors in hitting into double plays. They lead the majors in outs on the bases. It's really bad. And, look, it, it, when you see the Yankees boot off the field repeatedly by their own fans in Yankee Stadium, There's no question uh, it's crisis mode time. And I'm going to be really curious to see what the response of the Yankees front office to all this is and and whether or not they dig into possible external solutions. Well, what could that be? I mean, what what could it possibly be with an external solution? uh, I mean, I guess now would be normally the time where, where you can start looking over the steering wheel for a trade deadline and see what could be out there. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. That's a, so one, what, what blanks can you fill in there on that front? Well, first off, I think the, if you're Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees, your priorities have to be improved athleticism and more balance in what is an incredibly right-handed hitting Yankees lineup. You know, historically, the Yankees have had success with left-handed hitters. And somehow last night against a right-handed starter, they're rolling out a lineup with eight right-handed hitters. So a guy to watch, I think, in the weeks ahead, and I don't know if the Yankees will get him, but I'm sure that they, if they haven't already uh, gone in, in, into conversations about him, they will. 
Cattell Marte of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like right now, there are not a lot of teams out and essentially informing other teams are ready to sell, but it's a disastrous year for the Diamondbacks. Uh, they're in a really tough division. Mm-hmm. Cattell Marte valued never going to be higher than it is now. He's a switch hitter. He can play center field. He's hitting 376. And on top of that, for the Yankees, he actually has a really affordable contract. Um, you know, two team options in 2023 and 2024. Um, and that actually is important for the Yankees right now because to this point, Hal Steinbrenner, their owner, has not approved the Yankees going over the competitive balance uh, threshold at $210 million. The Yankees' payroll this year is about where it was in 2005. So we'll see where uh, Hal Steinbrenner goes with the payroll this year. Well, I mean, if Hal's dad was alive, you know what the conversation would be about the general manager and the manager right now. I think the hitting coach would have been already gone. Um and uh, and then, of course, the home plate umpiring of last night's game, Buster Olney, um, where uh, Odor took a ball four that would have loaded the bases in the bottom of the ninth, and instead Gabe Morales called it strike three. I mean, it was uh, easily one of the worst calls that was nationally televised this year. What happens with something like that? Does baseball do something about I mean I I know how the NFL handles calls and and reviewing it we know the NBA has their their two-minute report what happens uh after something like that last night in baseball nothing nothing (laughs) okay (laughs) then well that's not okay but but. well and I gotta say like the home plate umpire last night actually had a good night up until that call he'd been he'd been pretty good but that was a terrible call um, you know, in the time I covered the NFL for one year in 2002, and it was shocking to see the different cultures of, of, of that sport versus Major League Baseball. Look, earlier this year, we had repeated mistakes made with instant replay, and there was no acknowledgement for Major League Baseball that those were mistakes were made. So last night, home plate umpire makes a bad call. He gets a report today uh, on the electronic uh you know, basically evaluation of what his game was, and then it goes away. Um, you wish that it would change in baseball. And about the, you know, George Steinbrenner and how he would have handled these things, you're right. You know, he made changes all the time in season with managers, with coaches. The Yankees have not changed the manager in season since 1990. It's a completely different culture, I think, since Brian Cashman took over as GM in 98. I am going to be curious to see at the end of this year, you know, where, uh, you know, where House Steinbrenner goes and how he's feeling about the direction of the franchise. Buster only here on the Rich Eisen Show. Let's get into what uh, you were tweeting out over the weekend, what this show has been talking about. Uh, the Athletic had a report, Sports Illustrated had a report that pitchers are putting stuff on baseballs. Uh, Mike Schilt, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, essentially gave up the ghost uh, in a post-game uh, diatribe to the media after country Joe West made one of his pitchers change his hat because of seeing a spot on, on the brim and Schilt was saying, you've got to be kidding me. Like nobody's checking for anything this year. And we all know pitchers are cheating essentially is what he was saying. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. So baseball is going to do something mid season about all this buster. There is going to be a war on foreign substances, and it's going to be aggressive. Uh, on Friday, Major League Baseball officials, uh, representatives of the union, their umpire folks on this call on a, had a conference call on Friday, 
where they were beginning to finalize the details of what this is going to look like. A memo is expected to go out to all teams later this week, and then sometime in the next week to 10 days, and I think it could be as soon as next Monday, umpires will be instructed to enforce the sports substance rule that is already on the books. And what that's going to entail is repeated and random checks of pitchers and maybe even position players if umpires see cause. Now, uh, there are a couple of really interesting, there are so many layers to this, but a couple of the ones that are really interesting to me is a driving force behind this conversation now has actually been position players in the sport. They've been sending in video to central baseball, essentially calling out peers pointing out where they're cheating. And Major League Baseball in the last two months has effectively built scouting reports (laughs) on how different pitchers, specific pitchers, uh, are using foreign substances. And that information going to be provided to umpires at the outset of each series, like Rich Eisen, uh, you know, pitcher for the Seattle Pilots, Hmm. likes to tug the long strings on his glove and get Pelican grip on off of that. Look for that in games. I think the impact could be dramatic, and it's going to be front and center in the sport as soon as they implement that. And as I say, it could be as soon as a week from today. So what happens in a game if that happens? Ejections from the game and then suspensions afterwards? Yes. If the umpires uh, find a foreign substance, there will be ejections. And what they've talked about, and and again, as of, uh, you know, over the weekend, this was not finalized, conversations at the owners' meetings last week was that there would be suspensions of 10 games without pay, which would be significant. And in the owners' meetings, uh, one owner pointed out, look, they'll probably file grievances, but the response was, this is too big of a problem. We're seeing offenses diminish, action diminish in the sport. Just go ahead, render the, the suspensions, and if they grieve it, fine. But you're talking about pitchers whose names are going to uh, – Moving forward, we'll have questions attached to them after they are caught with foreign substances about what their actual skills and values are to, to, to you know in, to teams that uh, are using them or possible future employees. So, Major League Baseball, from everything I'm hearing, is going to be very aggressive about this. Well, Buster Olney of ESPN here on the Rich Eisen Show. One of the things that Mike Schilter, the Cardinals, was upset about was what he assumed, what he was portraying as something that was arbitrary, like you're checking my guy's hat and you're not checking everybody else. So what, what is the trigger mechanism on, on inspecting a pitcher? What, what's it going to be? Does a team ask for it? A manager asks for it? An umpire just goes on suspicion or something like that? I mean, what happens? This is going to be driven by the umpires. And, and one source told me it's going to be a lot like a DUI checkpoint. Um, what they're going to do, as they say, they're going to have information going into a series. They see, like you and I see, if we were sitting watching a ball game, you and I can see where pitchers are going to spots in their gloves, uh, you know, potentially on the form of their of their glove hand, other spots for foreign substances. The umpires see that as well. I've had conversations with umpires through the years where they tell me, yeah, we see it, but the mandate hadn't come down from Major League Baseball for them to enforce it. That's changing. And so what there, you will see, is, as I mentioned, probably 8 to 10 uh, random checks through the course of the game, or if they see something and they want to act on it. And because they're cognizant of pace of play issues, some of those checks are going to happen as the pitcher leaves the mound after an inning or an appearance. So let's say, you know, Rich Eisen 
uh, throws the, the top of the first inning and they suspect you have a foreign substance, you will be intercepted on your way back to the dugout. And the umpire will say, show me your gloves, show me your hat, show me your belt, show me those strings hanging off your glove, and they will act. So somebody's literally going to – you're right. It's this sound like you're at the TSA checkpoint. And uh, unless I guess you got clear, you know what I mean? And and, <laughs> and that may be the problem, I guess. So, wow, the opposing um, – the, 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 the manager of the pitcher that's being checked isn't going to go totally nuts on the spot that somebody throws an immaculate inning, they're feeling good. This is going to happen in a playoff game, Buster? You know, like – the one thing that, you know, with the NFL, whenever they changed an, uh, an uh, uh, what they would call uh, an emphasis, uh, a rules emphasis, an emphasis on the rules in the middle of a season, coaches go crazy. But I guess baseball could not do uh, what they were planning to do, which is use this year as an inspection year any longer when, you know, players are starting to talk about it. And we're also seeing it. And, you know, half of Major League Baseball starting lineups – aren't even hitting 200 and I guess is that is that the crisis point that people are talking about it and and the forget about pace of play I guess you're not worried about pace of play anymore if somebody's removing their belt in the two minutes that that you have in commercial break right Buster exactly exactly and the parallels to the steroid era are unbelievable uh look at the beginning you know in the early 90s you talked to players who were clean and they you know they kind of were curious about you know, what they saw, Tony Gwynn telling me about going into the Oakland Athletics weight room and seeing what the Oakland players like Conseco and McGuire were lifting and being, wow, geez, that's something. And then in the mid-90s, it was, man, there are a lot of players using this. And by 2000, 2001, clean players or players who wanted to be clean were getting angry because they realized it was a zero-sum competition. And if players were having an advantage and they uh, were not, by using PEDs, then essentially money was being taken out of their pockets. And that's exactly where we are, where I think the position players have realized, you know what, pitchers are completely dominating, and you know who's paying the price for that? We are as hitters, which is why you've got players sending in video to Central Baseball saying, look at what this pitcher's doing. Look at the spot on his glove. Look at how he's doing this. Uh, And that is absolutely the driving force behind why Major League Baseball is acting quickly. And as you know, baseball is not a sport that typically acts quickly. We just talked about, you know, umpires making mistakes during the course of the year. They don't really do anything. But in this case, with offense down, position players complaining, they are acting. All right, and then, uh, last one, I guess. When, when again do we see this? Do we see this by the middle of this month and all of a sudden you might see pitchers who, who have uh, nine-figure contracts and spin rates through the roof? suddenly give up a ton of runs? Is that really what we might be seeing, Buster? And in the last week, players are watching spin rates, and they're noting it. You know, Josh Donaldson made a comment about Garrett Cole's spin rate going down. Trevor Bauer's spin rate was down over the weekend. Uh, Yes, I was told that perhaps as soon as June 14th, you will see umpires begin to do this at the latest within two weeks. It's going to be immediate, and let's face it, you know, knuckleheads like me are going to be doing a lot of before and after when we look at the statistics for pitchers, for position players, for offenses, once umpires start to be aggressive with these checks. Buster, you're the man. Thanks for the call. Greatly appreciate it. Let's do this. Uh, let's do the after. This is the before. Let's do the after in a couple of weeks.
Appreciate that it. That sounds like fun, Rich. All right. Thank you. You got it. That's Buster Olney, Sunday Night Baseball reporter, ESPN senior writer right here on the Rich Eisen Show. I'll tell you what's going to be ugly. The during. Not the before, not the after. The during. I, I Let's take a break because I just want to spend a little bit more time on it than we have left in this segment about how is how workable is this idea to do it right in the middle of June But the sirens are blaring on this problem in baseball. Back with that in a moment. It's that time of year, people. Spring has sprung, and that means spring cleaning, or at least the partner in your life is demanding that you do it. Whether that means stocking up on cleaning supplies or swapping out your winter clothes for new spring clothes, make sure you're using Ibotta and get real cash back with every purchase. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop on hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys. The average Ibotta user earns $256 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip, that flight you've been eyeing, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Join the over 50 million users and earn cash back every time you shop from over 2,700 brands and retailers. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 for just trying Ibotta by using the code Eisen when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use my code E-I-S-E-N. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use my code Eisen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. What was it like shooting that scene, though, with Ray Kinsella and his father? I mean, did, how many, how, how long? Well, we had to do that. At, you, could, you notice that we did that at Magic Hour. You also notice that when that shot pulled back and you saw all those cars, you know, now, but that would have been CG'd. But that was technically, uh, that was all extras that we called on the radio, come be in our movie. And they created that big traffic no. jam. Hold on a second. So that traffic jam, that's a real. That's a real shot. And the people from Iowa came, and so so many people feel like they're a part of that movie. So those thousands and thousands of cars that were in that giant traffic jam that went out on those two lanes, that was real. But in terms of playing it, in terms of, as you said, the, the quiet moment, yeah. how did you work that, Kevin? Well, I, you know, when it did, what I did was I went back to when I first read it. And so I become the audience when I read it. And I when I read it, I went, <gasps> I couldn't believe that it had orchestrated itself to that thing. And I had that feeling on the couch. And so I knew if I played that straight, if I didn't wink at anybody, mm-hmm. that these players did come. You know, that's my corn. <laughs> you know, Phil Robinson is the, is the architect of that movie. You know, um, I tell a story, you know, and I don't tell it often, but, you know, they, they kept coming after me. I wasn't going to be able to do that movie. I was going to do Revenge, and I got into a... Finally, that Revenge kept getting pushed, kept getting pushed, and finally I had to put my foot down and say, look... Uh, if you don't get this movie together, I'm going to go to do this movie in the corn. I asked the director, why did you hold out for me so long? Why? And he said, well, and this is one of the greatest actors we've ever seen. He goes, 
they wanted me to do Robin Williams. And I said, I said, Robin Williams is perfect. He said, yeah, but when I think of Robin, I think he does hear voices in the corn. <laughs> and I don't want that. People don't believe you hear voices. And that was a really interesting, that was a, that's a director that makes a save. That's a Mariano Rivera, you know, sure. it's a save. He saved his movie because of his belief in an idea, you know, not the quality of actor because Robin Williams will never, of course, this is, this is a guy so special, but I, but I was curious. I said, he's actually a bigger star than me, you know, you know, whatever. And he goes, I need somebody that you don't think cares voices. And that would be you. I've never heard Robin Williams was considered for that role. That's unbelievable. And then you did it, and obviously we're we're talking about it today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had gold dust on it when I read it because I did that little intake of breath. <gasps> Do you want to have a catch? And of course, I I wept myself. Love Kevin Costner and all of his appearances. Check it out: YouTube.com/slash Rich Eisen Show for our show archives. Back here, one big happy radio TV family. So Buster Olney just came on and said in uh, about 10 days, look for baseball to send their umpires to a game with, uh, along with their remarkably difficult task of calling balls and strikes. And we saw sometimes umpires can totally blow it last night on Sunday Night Baseball. And in addition to all of that, they will be tasked with policing the game to make sure pitchers aren't putting stuff on the baseballs and that there are players currently in the game that are sending video excerpts to Central Baseball's office, the Central Office of Baseball, saying, we're seeing this. This is what these people are doing. And basically, like they've got their own John boys out there mm -hmm. who are breaking down film and saying, this is what pitchers are doing. And every pitcher now has a book on them. And umpires will know this, and they'll be sent out to inspect pitchers TSA style after an inning is over. <laughs> and and seriously, so what what does that look like? How often are umpires going to do that? Sometimes, you know, there's six, seven pitchers in a game. They're going to do it for each one. What happens if it's Degrom versus Scherzer? Are they going to do that to Degrom and Scherzer? Hey, Max just struck out the first, you know, seven of the first nine or whatever. He's got to be cheating. Or, or Degrom is just Degrom came out as you know in his last start, through uh, ten straight one hundred mile an hour plus fastballs, and then snapped off a slider to get out of the first. You're going to stop him on the way back to the dugout and say, "Let me look at your glove. Take off your belt. Let's do this." Well, seriously. Or do player or or do players of a certain status have like clear? Like the pass where you just go straight through. You don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to take your belt off. All you got to do is just show your ID. So there's pre-check and clear, just two different things. I don't know. Like do 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 certain players, if there's no book on them and they're Cy Young Award winners in the past, do they not get checked? I'm I'm being serious. Yeah, it sounds facetious. You like, can't do that. You got to check everybody. It can't be arbitrary. And then what are you going to do? You're going to literally make them take their belt off in front of the entire stadium? Or do you remove them to a different spot? Is this really going to be done as soon as they're off the first baseline or going back to their dugout in the third baseline? They're stopped right around where they meet the, the fanny pack guy to take a look and put the headsets on. 
you know, to re- replay something. Is that where they're going to do it? A Are white gonna, tent, Rich. No, I'm serious. They're going to do a white tent. Like a blue tent? They blue put, tent. put up a blue tent yep. like like when, when when the NFL takes a look at injured players? Yeah. Come in the uh, tent. Honest, no, uh, are they going to do this in front of everybody? So the baseball, uh, we'll, we'll be right back after these messages. Hey, while we were gone, they looked at this player or whatever, and they found it. He's out. Here's a new player in the game. And then we'll just go on with the next. Like, is that really the way it's going to go? Is it going to be between innings, or are we going to do it between batters? They, like, no, he said it's at the end of an inning, is what okay. he said. At the end of an inning, the inning is over. You've got two and a half minutes, I guess, or in a commercial break, three, depending on. I, I don't know what their commercial breaks are in nationally televised games. And you think managers are going to go, they'll be like, okay, go, yeah, go, go check him. No problem. Or it's just like, even, even with Mike Schilt, he went nuts when they asked his player to change a hat because that gets in the player's mind. Like you're getting him out. He's, he's coming in. He's warmed up. He's ready to go. Now you're messing with his head, stopping his routine to make him change a hat. So now you're going to stop a player on the way to the dugout to make him take off a belt, lift up their pant leg show off their stirrup you know like literally is that what you're going to do you better think this really you better get this thing down to a science and make sure all the umpires know how to do it that all four of them are on it does the crew chief do it is the crew chief the one who pats him down like you know <laughs> is the crew is the first base ump the pat down guy and the second base guys and the glove check guy and the third base umpire is the belt guy and the crew chief just, you know, inspects it all. Or Rich, do they have a separate umpire, not on the field, who comes out and handles? Well, he's in the each clubhouse, and they yeah, dressed like the gimp. And, and he comes no, and handles I'll, the. You know what downs. I mean? No, it's you can't take someone down to the clubhouse. You can't. I mean, I guess you could. That you do it off, off, off field. But you'd have to have a special umpire to do that because you've got to have right. four men yeah. on the field so to I'm adjudicate saying, things. There would have to be a special guy who handles. This is, I mean, I mean, but what else are you going to do? I don't you know. Can't I do mean, it if everybody is beginning to cheat and players are, are sending in video and we're seeing spin rates go through the roof and I'm watching a game where a ball's not put in play for like three minutes, but there's two men on and there's excitement. There's two men on, but they walked there. They, they, they got, they got walked on. They got, they got on due to free pass of base on balls. Random checks. Maybe they don't, it's just like. I don't prevent it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm all for getting fixing this and cleaning it up. But, but doing it in the middle of the season. The middle oh. of the game. But I don't. But look, I, I will just say this: good for them, man, because it's gotten out of hand. Players are talking about it. A manager's going on saying, giving up the Mike Schilt. Mike Schilt lifted the kimono. Mattingly saying parts of the game are unwatchable. He's not wrong. And you know he's a perfect human being, Don Mattingly. <laughs> Donnie Baseball. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to the Major League Baseball. The, the house is on fire. You gotta you gotta you gotta call the fire department. The problem is is the fire department needs to, you know, figure out how to attack this house fire. Cause you can make it even worse. Wow. But at least they're doing something about yeah. it. Absolutely. Baron Davis coming up in hour number three to talk some NBA playoffs with us. Here's what we need to do next next segment, top of the hour. We've got a lot of housekeeping to do. Lots of housekeeping to do on the Julio Jones 
trade. Lots of housekeeping to do on are we a jinx? Are we a mush? <laughs> oh. Okay. There's lots of that going on. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. My best dad ever sign was put to the test last night. Oh. Watching a home plate umpire bollocks the bottom of the ninth and top of the tenth in front of my 10-year-old. How did I handle that situation? Um, we haven't even talked about Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather, if you want to do that. I don't. Okay. I, don't do I wouldn't have anything to add. It's not going po- it. to be positive. You know, everyone was talking about it last night. People were talking about it. People were there. A lot of celebrities at the fight. I totally get it. I mean, I didn't see a single second. Who were celebrities at the fight? Uh, Paul Pierce, Brooks Kepka, a lot of, a lot of celebrities. Where was it? Was it in Vegas? The Miami. Miami. In Miami. Miami, yeah. yeah. So all, the, all the South Florida. Okay. People were there. Okay, so we don't want we'll we'll place that aside. We'll stick yeah, that we'll put aside. Yeah, that aside. Let's, I don't want to contribute. There's nothing to contribute that's positive. Well, because no judges are allowed anyway, so we can't judge it. Yeah, there's technically no winner. There's no winner. Yes. Yeah, so what will we even talk about? Exactly. Look at that. <laughs> Logan Paul is jacked. I will say that. He is. Someone and had a, someone had a great cheat, a great tweet about yesterday. It was uh, you can tell how much Floyd actually cared about the fight because he didn't even get a haircut. <laughs> oh. He didn't shave his beard, and he didn't get a haircut. Didn't get a tight a cleanup. That's how much he cared about this fight, or how much preparation he put into it. How much money do you make off this fight? I think I think nine figures. Nine figures. Nine figures. High eight. Yeah. How uh, enough people put put money down to watch it that it would earn a hundred? That's how much revenue was raised. I believe so. Yeah. We were talking about that. Like how many people bought it? Really. I don't know somebody who bought I don't know anybody who I don't either, it. but Logan Paul has almost 6 billion YouTube views, so you know his people are okay. loyal. How many do we have? Not 6 billion. Okay. Yeah. What's the matter with you people? <laughs> Someone needs to fight, obviously. Oh. <laughs> well, Seton Del Tufo and Seton. We know that yeah. Seton's already asked for a piece of Del Tufo. <laughs> That's a great buy rate right there. There we there. go. <laughs>